Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. Well, let's take a look at uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, today, we've been looking at 1 Samuel for the past few weeks, and we've looked at some of the characters in 1 Samuel, uh, both positive and negative, that we can learn from their examples. Uh, if we had good examples to grow up to uh, grow up with, uh, awesome. But if you didn't have good examples, you can still learn because you can learn from everyone. You can learn what not to do and what to do. So Elkanah, he was the first one we looked at. He was oblivious. He did get better, though. I, I will give him credit when you keep reading the first uh, three chapters of First Samuel. Elkanah was oblivious, but he, he did get better. Hannah was the young woman that couldn't have children, but she went from broken to beholding the glory of God. This week is Eli. Eli. And it says this about Eli, and we're going to talk about this, but it says this, um, he honored his sons more than God. He honored his sons more more than God. The Bible says that children uh, are a gift from the Lord, and that is true. Wow, what a blessing. What a blessing they are. Uh, when they're younger, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy, and we'll talk about that. Um, but I like this uh, that I read this week. A mother of three unruly preschoolers, three preschoolers, uh, was asked whether she would have children again if she could do it all over again, and her response was absolutely just not the same three children. I love that. Three unruly preschoolers. Would you have children again? Yes, just not these same three. Uh, so parenting is not easy, that is for sure. I was a lot like this too. When I got out of Bible school, I knew everything there was to know about pastoring and parenting and marriage and all of that. Now I realize I know less now than ever, than ever. Uh, but anyway, there was a man, he used to lecture on, on parenting, he had been a professor for a long time. He had lectured through his single years, his parenting years, and his lectures changed on parenting over the years. When he was single, he started off calling his lectures and his teachings the Ten Commandments of Parenting. Have you ever found that? People that don't have children, they, they really know how to raise children. The Ten Commandments of Parenting. Then he got married, had his first child, and then he changed his lecture to the Ten Hints for parenting, from commandments to hints. And after the second child came, he changed it all together and said, here's 10 suggestions for parenting. Then when he had his third child, he stopped lecturing on parenting altogether. And uh, that's kind of how it works sometimes. We think that we have all of the answers until you haven't slept for days, until you have one child, and then you have a second one. You think, well, okay, they'll be different, but the third one will be like one of the other one. Uh, and the answer is no, they're all different. And they all come with their unique personalities. And with that unique personalities, their unique um uh, I don't want to say problems. They're, they're, they're unique uh, parenting styles and things that need to happen. Anyway, uh, one of these days I'll, I'll tell you about our uh, parenting and, and kind of some of the principles from God's Word, because there are principles from God's Word. Someday I'll share that with you uh, 
to help some of the parents along. Yes, every child is certainly different. So we're going to look at uh, the life of Eli, and we're going to look at his life and what not to do as a parent or, or a grandparent or whatever situation you might find yourself in. Write this down. Write this down. Children are a great gift. Children are a great gift, but they are a terrible God. Children are a great gift, but they are a terrible God. If you make your children God in your life, that's going to be awful because children are smart. If you teach them that they can do whatever they want, guess what they'll do? Whatever they want. Uh, They're very smart like that. If you teach them they're the center of the world, they will live like they're the center of the world. They're very smart. But children are a great gift. Write it down. But they're a terrible God. They're a terrible God. So we're going to look at Eli's sons. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And we're going to call them scoundrels because that's what the Bible says. In verse uh, chapter 2, verse 12, this is after Hannah's story. And I'm going to get to the point and roll through this quickly. But now the sons of Eli were scoundrels. That's God's word. One translation calls them worthless scoundrels. These were not good guys. And, they, and here's the reason they were scoundrels. They had no respect for the Lord. It wasn't that they just made some mistakes and, you know, they made some poor decisions. No, they had no respect for the Lord. They were absolute scoundrels. It's not because they didn't have any inherent value in themselves. They were created in the image of God. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, they became scoundrels because they had no respect for the Lord. Now think about this. They grew up around the things of God. Their father was the high priest of Israel. They grew up, let's say, in the church. They knew the rituals. Watch this now. They knew the rituals of religion, but didn't have a relationship with God. They knew the rituals, but did not have a relationship with God. We'll often hear these statistics that young people go away uh, from, from uh, you know, home to college, whatever it is, and they fall away from the Lord. You know what? The, the reality is, is that those that have a relationship to the Lord and are passionate and want to serve Him, guess what they end up doing? Serving Him. Those that only knew the rituals, of going to church and going through the motions, but never had a relationship with God, their eye for the world gets very, very strong. And it's easy for them to fall away. We need to pray for our children and the next generation that they would have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they would be passionate about Jesus Christ. And I pray this when I pray for the the children before we dismiss them, that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior at the earliest possible age and serve you all the days of their lives. That's a good prayer to pray for the next generation, the next generation. Um, Can I just throw this out there real quick since it's cold and you don't want to go outside anyhow? I've seen people fall away from the Lord and it's terribly sad. It starts with not being involved in church or something else takes precedent over it. Can I tell you how it starts with young people? They start working on Sundays. I apologize if I'm offending some of you. But young people, they think they need the money and all of this, and the only jobs they can get are on Sundays, and they stop attending church altogether. Boy, that's sad. 
because there's they're going to fall away from the Lord. That's just the way it is. Unless they de determine they're going to come to a different service or unless they determine they're going to watch online or unless they determine they're going to keep doing it. Now, listen, if you're ahead of a home, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't worry. You have to, you know, uh, meet the needs of your family, I, I, you know. But if you're working a second job and it takes you on Sunday, and the only reason you're working it is not to pay your mortgage and to feed your family. It's, it's because you want to go on a vacation or you want something else. Listen, be passionate about the Lord, and God will meet all of your needs according to His riches and glory. You take a Sabbath, you take care of God's things, He'll take care of your things. Okay, anyway, young people, don't work on Sundays. You tell the boss, I can't do it, or find another job, and here's why. Because money ain't going to matter in eternity. And you'll make a little bit of money as a kid. And you'll think it's a lot of money. It's nothing. Compared to eternity. And so I've seen it both ways. I've seen young people that refuse to work on Sundays. And you know what? God blesses them. They're still in the church today. And I've seen young people start to work on Sundays. Because they want to make you know, a couple pittance an hour. It's a bad step. That's all I'm saying. I'm telling you that because I love you and I want you to serve the Lord. Chick-fil-A, they close on Sundays. You know how much money they could make on Sundays? Every Christian in church wants to go to Chick-fil-A on Sundays. <laughs> but they decided they wouldn't and guess what? They're doing okay. I know businesses that won't open on Sundays that could make more money. But that's the Lord's day. And you know what? I've seen God bless them. God will do the same thing in your life. Okay, that's enough. So here's Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They were just worthless scoundrels because they had no respect for the Lord. Here was their sin in verse 13. Uh, whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's sons would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork while the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling. The servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand... You see the word demand that whatever it brought up would be given to Eli's sons. So all the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. Sometimes the servant would come even before the animal's fat had been burned on the altar. And he would demand raw meat before it had been boiled so that they could use it for their own barbecue. Well, it doesn't say that exactly, but in the Sabella paraphrase. They didn't want the boiled meat that was theirs. They wanted it before so that they could have a barbecue. The man offering the sacrifice might reply, well, take as much as you want, but the, the fat must be burned first. That's the law. The servant would say, no, give it to me now or I'm going to take it by force. This is Eli's sons, priests to Israel. So the sin, verse 17, the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. So they used intimidation. People with pure hearts were coming to the house of the Lord to worship the Lord. And Hophni and Phinehas, being the scoundrels they were, they intimidated people and they used other people to accomplish that purpose, taking the best of the sacrifice for themselves. God always gets the best. And if people protested against that, they, they would be threatened. Then we'll take it by force if we have to, 
but we're going to take this. We find out in in verse 22 that they were also immoral. They used intimidation for their own purposes. They were also immoral in verse 22. Now, Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. We're going to get to that in a minute. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Not only did they use intimidation, but they were immoral. They were taking advantage of their position and power to please their own flesh. That's a scoundrel. I don't care what the position is. If the position in the church is a pastor or a leader that uses their position and power to intimidate and for immorality, they're a scoundrel, just like Eli's sons. And Eli knew what was going on, so he scolded them. Eli said to them, verse 23, stay with me here. I wanted you to hear all these scriptures. Follow along if you can. Eli said to them, I've been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things you are doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons, exclamation point. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. If someone sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party, but if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? I'm picturing Eli yelling at his sons. Can I tell you something else? If you don't discipline your, church, your children early, all the yelling in the world isn't going to make a difference. They might do what you want them to do because they want you to stop yelling, but you have their ear and not their heart. Think about that. All the yelling, if you don't discipline them early, and I there's a difference between punishment and discipline. Let me give it to you real quick. Discipline is the day-to-day life. It's time to get up. It's time to eat breakfast. It's time to go to school. It's time for your snack when you get home from school. It's time for uh, homework. It's time to you know, play games. It's time to eat. It's time for your bath, shower. It's time for bed. That's day-to-day discipline. Punishment is when they get out of line, you help bring them back into line. So you don't start with punishment. You start with discipline, okay? And there's a big difference. And see, so when you don't have discipline, people will revert to yelling. And you might have their ear, but you don't have their heart, see? He even used some religion. Don't use the Bible as a weapon against anyone, against your children. Sometimes people ask me, I'm dealing with this. What's a good scripture I could use to tell this person? Yeah, the answer is none. Because you'll have their ear, but you won't have their heart. And you'll turn them away from the Lord instead of toward the Lord. I mean, this is just some practical advice here. Okay? This is practical, biblical advice. Don't yell all the time. Okay? Sometimes raising the voice, I I get that. Some people are just more, you know, excitable. I I get that. But if you're not living a disciplined life, discipline your your children. You can yell all you want. You'll have their ear but not their heart. But if you have their heart, you won't have to yell. You see how that works? And don't use religion or scripture or whatever else as a weapon against those that you're angry at. Okay? How about, I'm sorry. I'm being real straightforward today. How about just living for Jesus 
And then you won't have to use religion. They'll know from your life. They'll be convicted of sin just by your lifestyle. Anyway, so he scolded them, but he didn't do anything about it. He yelled, but he never did anything about it. The, the next one is scoffing, the scoffing. But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father. Well, why wouldn't they listen to him? Because he didn't discipline them early. He's old. He's fat. He's blind. It's too late. Their hearts had already turned. He never had their hearts as a parent. Therefore, he never led them to the heart of God the high priest of the land. Now, let me say this. We can do sometimes everything possible and our children still choose to disobey God. That happens too. If your adult children aren't serving the Lord, you can look back and say, wow, I wish I would have done some things differently, but they've made decisions as adults that they'll be held accountable for. I'm not trying to bring condemnation on any parents whose adult children aren't serving the Lord. Maybe you did bring them up in church and you did the best that you could. Can I tell you this? Thank God that you did bring them when they were young and that the end of the story hasn't been written and at the end of the day, they still know that they can call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. If you didn't bring them to church, they wouldn't even have that. So I'm not talking about condemning yourself. I'm talking to some of you that still have children in the home to help you along the way. Okay? But they just scoffed him. They didn't care what Eli had to say. They wouldn't listen to their father. Now watch this next phrase. This is an important theological point. For the Lord was already planning to put them to death. Okay, now listen to this next. It wasn't the death penalty that kept them from listening. It was the fact that they wouldn't listen that brought the death penalty. You can read this and think, well, God had just hardened their hearts and they had no opportunity to listen. They had no opportunity to change. Therefore, um, it's not their fault. Nope. The death penalty came because they didn't listen. Okay, uh, That's an important point. We can touch on that some other time. If you have questions on that, um, ask. Um, well, ask Pastor Rick. I would go with Pastor Rick. He's, he's good at stuff like, like that. Anyway, they scoffed him. And so because of that, because they were scoundrels, because Eli didn't do anything about it, their sin of intimidation and immorality. He scolded them. They scoffed at him. And God declares his sentence upon the family of Eli. I chose your ancestor Aaron from, this is verse chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear the priestly vest as he served me, and I assign the sacrificial offerings to you, the priests. Verse 30, therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I promised, now this is being spoken to Eli from God, I promised that your branch of the tri tribe of Levi would always be my priests, but I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. The time is coming when I will put an end to your family. This is God speaking to Eli. So it will no longer serve as my priests. All the members of your family will die before their time. 
none will reach their old age. This is a huge sentence of removing them from their ministry and ultimately bringing death. Now I'm going to jump back up to verse 29 and here's why. Here's the key verse. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Did Eli scorn his sacrifices and offerings? Yes. Why? Because he didn't remove his sons from their priestly positions. He only scolded them. He yelled at them, but he didn't do anything about it. He could have removed them from ministry. But here's why he didn't remove them from ministry. God says to Eli, Why do you give your sons more honor than you give to me? Wow. Now let's stop now. Let's stop now. One translation says, Why do you honor your sons more than you honor me? Remember what I told you at the beginning to write it down? Children are a great gift, but they're a bad God. Eli had made his sons God. And he replaced the true God, capital G, with a false God, gods Hophni and Phinehas. He, was, he feared his sons more than he feared God. And because of that, there were consequences. Listen, if you fear God first, you don't have to fear anyone else. You don't have to fear your children. Can I tell you, if your children are still young, don't, don't be afraid of your children. You're the parent. Well, I'm going to get to that. All right, tell me yes, amen. You're still with me. Hello. Let me know. I know I'm going a little bit over, but you don't want to go outside today anyhow. I'm going to land this uh, pretty soon, pretty soon. Uh, let me see what you got here. Are you still with me? Give me an amen there. Give me an amen. All right. We're going to keep going. Take a little break. Take a deep breath. Take a, take a deep breath. And uh, I'll bring this home in just, just a moment. So here's the applications. Okay, first of all, number one. And this is a question you have to ask yourself. I can't answer this for you. I can only answer it for myself. Is there anything or anyone in your life that you honor more than God? That's it. It's a time of examination. Is there anything in your life or anyone in your life that you honor more than God? Anything that you put above Him? Anything you put before God? Anyone or anything you put ahead of God is a small g God in your life. We've said this before, you can take a good thing and make it a God thing and it becomes a bad thing. You take a good thing, children are good. They're a gift. But if you make them gods in your life that you obey your children, think of that. You obey your children more than you obey God. Then you've made them God in your life. Children are to obey their parents. Ephesians 6.1 Parents aren't supposed to obey their children. Again, can I just tell you as your pastor, I hate when I see that. 
I hate when the kid says jump and the parents say how high. You, you just are asking for trouble. I've been in this long enough now and lived long enough. I've seen the consequences of that. We call it the cart before the horse. Where the, where the children run the parents. And the children have the parents perfectly disciplined. Where the, the children say one thing and the parents jump. That's a problem. Again, I'm not trying to be too harsh, but I, I want you to see the, the importance of this. If you're obeying your children, then the children aren't obeying you, and it, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. If your children are still young, there's still time. If they're teenagers, you're running out of time. If they're adults, you need to pray to God for a miracle. He can do it. There's hope. Long as there's breath, there's hope. But the time to start is when they're children. Okay. Is there anything that you've put ahead of God in your life? A good thing made a God thing is a bad thing. People will say this, and, I, and they might not mean it, but this is something they say. Um, they'll say, oh, my children are my life. Well, that's bad. Your children are not your life. Oh, my family is my life. Uh, no, as a believer, your family is not your life. Oh, my job. That's my identity. That's my life. Uh, no, as a believer, your life is in Christ. And your identity is in Jesus Christ. And here's the blessing of that. Even if something goes wrong in your family, you still have God, which is everything. If your children are your God and something goes wrong there, then your life is completely shattered. And you begin to talk like, I've done so much for them, I've poured so much into them, and all of these sorts of things. Well, did you honor them more than you honored God? I know this is a little tough today, but I want you to get this. Some of you aren't parents yet. Please remember some of this when you become parents. My children are my life. No, not as a believer. My family, no. My job, my, no. Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus Christ is my life, and everything else is a part of my life. Jesus is my life. I live for him, and he lives in me and through me. And these other things are good, but they're only a part of our lives. Number two, you are the parent, and I've addressed this already. Can I tell you the, the benefit of, of uh, disciplining your children and, and just, you know, again, some of them are going to go off. I get that. But here's what happens with older children. Friendship. And it's the best. It's the best. The sacrifices you make when they're young pay off in the future. Do what's right now and let God work. Friendship comes later. And you know what? Even for your children that aren't serving the Lord, you can still have a friendship relationship with them. If you're still trying to, you know, get your adult children to obey you and you're making commands and demands on your adult children, listen, that's, it's too late. It's too late. Just love them for who they are. Pray for them. 
enjoy their fellowship and friendship. I, you know, okay, real quick again, you still there? You don't have to type it again. I lost my Facebook feed, but here's some, just some practical example. Children are not angels to be left on their own. Okay. You, they look so cute. Okay. And they are cute, but they're not little angels to be left on their own. They're born with the sin nature and therefore need to be disciplined. And here's how you do it. Genesis. Genesis, first three chapters. Here's what you can do. He, God, the, the ultimate father, spoke to Adam and Eve. Here's what you can do, and it's a lot. Everything here is for you. Here's what you can't do. Don't eat from that tree. And here's what will happen if you do it. That's it. Here's what you can do. It's a lot. Here's what you can't do. And here's what will happen if you do it. Here's something else, another little thing important. Say yes as much as you can so your no's mean more. Jot that down. Say yes as much as you can so that your no's mean more. If you're always saying no, 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 and it becomes a habit because with, with young children, no, don't put the you know fork in the socket. No, don't touch the stove. It becomes a habit. But as your children get older, say yes more often unless it's stupid and they're going to hurt themselves. But the more you say yes, your no's have more meaning. All right. Uh, you're the parent. Number three. There are consequences to doing nothing. Okay? Not just consequences to doing the wrong thing. There are consequences to doing nothing. Eli's failure as a father and as a minister resulted in these four aspects. God's judgment on Eli and his family. Eli knew what they were doing. He scolded them. They scoffed at him. He didn't remove them. There was a decline in the priesthood. Because everybody knew what was going on. They knew that the sons of Eli were worthless scoundrels. They had been intimidated. They had been taken advantage of. The general spiritual decline of God's people. And here's the last part of it, and I'm almost done. Do you know, you've heard the term Ichabod? Here's what happened. God said, your sons are going to die on the same day. In chapter 4, they died on the same day. One of the their wives had a baby at the time that she heard her husband died. Okay? Eli fell backwards and died when he heard that his sons died. And she named that child that was born Ichabod. The glory of God has departed. That's in chapter 4, verse 21. Boy, that's a sad story. Let me review it, and I have a big point to make. Eli honored his sons more than he honored God. Children are a great gift, but they're a terrible God. Okay? Don't let anything or anyone be ahead of God. Honor God more than anything or anyone else. There was a son named Nicobod that said the glory of God had departed over Israel because Eli did nothing. Number four. Now catch this. I'm going to bring things back up again. God can take a mess and he can make it into a masterpiece. Write that down. You need to hear this today. Some of you are condemning yourselves. That's not the purpose of this. Okay? Okay. The purpose isn't to bring condemnation, it's to bring instruction.
and to help you. But let's say there have been mistakes made. Mistakes have been made. We've all made them. God can take a mess and he can make it into a masterpiece. He can even take the mess. This is harsh. I don't mean, you know, the mess we've made of things and he can turn it around and make it into a masterpiece. Look what he did in Saul's Paul, Saul Paul's life. Paul, Saul Paul was a mess. He had Christians killed, but God made it into a masterpiece. Look at Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau. It was a mess. God made Jacob into a masterpiece, the father, the continuing line of the nation of Israel. God can take that mess and make it into a masterpiece. God did it in Israel. Watch. Now I'm about to get excited. Verse 35. After all this was going on, 1 Samuel 2.35, God says this, After he announced judgment on Eli, then I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I desire, and I will establish his family, and they will be priests to my anointed kings forever. Now the immediate fulfillment was Samuel. Samuel was a man of God. But even his sons didn't follow the Lord. See, see what I'm saying? Adult children make their own decisions. Samuel was a man of God. Anyway, but Samuel became that priest, prophet, that anointed a king. But ultimately, the ultimate priest is Jesus. I will raise up a faithful priest, Jesus, who will serve me and do what I desire. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5, that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he became a man and took on the nature of a man and became a servant, and he became obedient to his Father, and not just obedient, but obedient to even death on the cross, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess. God can take a mess turn it into a masterpiece. And then look what happens in 1 Peter, that when it talks about, and they, he will establish his family, Jesus has established his family, and you're part of it. You're part of God's family because of what Jesus has done. And they will be my priests. We are a royal priesthood. We are a royal, uh, a holy priesthood. Peter tells us, in his epistle, God can make him take a mess and he can turn it into a masterpiece. Don't give up. Keep going forward. Keep putting God first in your life and let God do what only he can do. Because he's wonderful. He loves you. He's your heavenly father. He cares about you. He cares about your family. And he cares about your children. I'm going to leave you with that before I pray. God can take a mess and make it a masterpiece. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Let's pray together. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray for every family that's represented here today. Listen, there's no perfect family. There, you know, we're imperfect people. And Lord, we need your grace. I pray for families of every generation, for those parents with young children. What a great opportunity they have to bring them up in the ways of the Lord. For those with teenagers, Lord, they have great opportunity to, to uh, have seed of relationship. 
those with adult children have the opportunity to to have friendship friendship lord with their children lord their enemy wants to defeat and damage families we pray against the enemy in the name of jesus and the enemy wants to point to the mess that's been made well today we're pointing to the masterpiece that jesus can make we thank you that we have new life new beginnings in jesus christ Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord. Bless every family. Bless them to overflowing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.